right, well, welcome to Living Hope Church. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. If you have children that are going down for uh, children's church or for preschool, they can go out the back uh, with Miss Melody. If you have children that are staying with us, there's activities on that back table. They are free to grab and take to their seat. Uh, there's also a sermon notes designed uh, for them that they can use during the service. And uh, there's a little bingo game on there they can play. Or um, if you're a child that's trapped in, adult, trapped in an adult body, you can grab one and play along with us as well. Uh, so today we are, once again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. We're in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's hard to believe, but we have just two more weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. We began this series back in January in Matthew chapter 5 with the Beatitudes, and we've almost way, made our way through it. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we have seen Jesus challenge our assumptions of what it looks like to follow God. And he has called us to heart change and to love God as opposed to just religious action and religious hoop jumping. God doesn't desire simple rule following and box checking, but he desires for us to love him and follow after him. Uh, since Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended into heaven, it was predicted at that time that he would one day return in a similar fashion. And since that day, people have been fascinated by his return. There are countless books and theories written about his return in the end times. Uh, there's all sorts of ideas and predictions about the end times. And anyone who tells you they know for sure how it's going to play out, well, they are lying to you. Uh, the Bible itself tells us only God knows how it will play out. Anyway, that's not what this section of Scripture is about. But in the mid-90s through the early 2000s, there was a series of books that came out about this very subject. The books were called the Left Behind series, written by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. Uh, I'm not encouraging you to read those books or endorsing them. I've read some of them. They're interesting, but they are so far from a theology book, it's not even funny. Uh, but the basic premise of the books is the end times are happening. They, have, they take a pre-tribulation view of uh, the end times, which means that the Christians will be called up in an event called the rapture before life gets hard. One of the many views and understandings of the end times. And in their story, this rapture happens. The Christians are all called to heaven. And it follows these people that have been left behind who weren't true followers of Jesus. One of those men is a guy by the name of Bruce Barnes. And Bruce Barnes was an associate pastor at a church. He checked all of the religious boxes. To the world, there was no question that he was a follower of Jesus. But he had always doubted. We learned the Bible, faith, and he viewed church as just his job. He looked like a follower of Jesus, but he had never trusted Jesus in his heart. The always trustworthy Wikipedia gives us this character description. It says, before the rapture, Bruce is the associate pastor at New Hope Village Church, serving with then senior pastor Vernon Billings. He has doubted the Bible for most of his life, though he has professed faith in Jesus. He has never truly believed in his heart. When the rapture takes place and his wife and children are taken to heaven, Bruce almost falls into depression and total disbelief. Despite his losses, however, he is determined to start anew. He goes to New Hope Village Church that night and meets a few other members who were also left behind. He finds a video of the pastor explaining the rapture from which he learns that it is not too late to be saved, and he commits his life to God. And so I say all of that to set up this week's passage of Scripture. In verses 13 through 23 of chapter 7, Jesus will tell us there are going to be many Bruce Billings. People who to the world looked like Christians, people who attended church regularly, who volunteered and served, but they always did so not out of faith and love of God, but out of duty or out of an attempt to play the game and get God to do their will. And in this passage, Jesus is going to give us a warning to examine our hearts, to examine our motives, and to make sure we know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and not as a genie in a bottle or a taskmaster to appease. So Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount by giving us four word pictures that would have been in and are surprising for us to read. 
These word pictures come in sets of twos. First, we will see two roads, wide and narrow. Then we will see two types of prophets, sheep and wolves dressed like sheep. And then we will see two trees, one with good fruit and one with bad. And then next week, we will see two houses, one built on sand and one built on the rock. And these are all a a warning revealing the same thing. There are genuine Christians, genuine followers of Jesus, and then there are false Christians who might look good but aren't truly followers. It's a warning, and the warning is there are a lot of people who look like they are on the right path, who look religious on the outside, but they are going to hear the most terrifying, unexpected verdict at the end of their life when Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. So we're going to read verse, uh, starting in verse 13 of chapter 7, verse 13 through 23. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, as always, God, we thank you for the privilege it is to gather and it is to worship you and it is to study your word. God, as we come to this passage, which is really kind of a solemn passage, God, I pray that you would just give us insight into your heart and what it is you desire to teach us today. God, I pray that you would uh, help us to examine our own lives and to answer that question, am I really a follower of Jesus or is it something else to me? And God, I pray you would speak clearly. And if there's anyone here that is not truly a follower of Jesus, Lord, that you would speak to them, that you would call them to faith in you today, Lord, and they would be faithful to respond, to believe in you, and to turn and trust you with their life. God, we thank you for the assurance that there is, that if we are a genuine follower of you, then heaven is our eternity. So God, we pray that you would speak to us clearly today. In your name we pray, amen. So throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we have seen that Jesus is far more concerned about our hearts than any religious acts. And today we're left with the ultimate examination of our heart, the ultimate question, am I a follower of Jesus? And the question is not, do I mark Christian on my census form, or do I come to church regularly, or even have I been baptized? But the question is, have I followed Jesus with my life? Trusting him with my eternity and making him Lord, the leader, the boss of my life. Because what we see in this section of scripture is that Jesus says there are many that might consider themselves Christians and even act like it on the outside, but they have never made Jesus Lord of their life. And so to help us examine our hearts, Jesus gives us these three illustrations to unpack and examine our lives through. The first comes in verse 13, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. In our culture, there is a general consensus and a general belief that all roads lead to heaven. There is a belief that all religions, all beliefs, all roads, all efforts lead to heaven. But Jesus right here says quite the opposite. Jesus says, broad are the roads that lead to destruction, but narrow is the road, and narrow is the gate that leads to life and leads to heaven. 
And that gate is narrow because the Bible tells us there is only one way to God and one way to heaven, and that is Jesus. In John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus says here, and he says throughout his teaching quite clearly, I am the only way to life. I am the only way to a relationship with God. I am the only way to heaven. So that's our first point today. Jesus is the only way to life. He is the only way to heaven. But not only is the gate narrow because Jesus is the only way, but the gate is narrow because it takes sacrifice and surrender to follow Jesus. There is a cost to following Jesus. Following Jesus calls us to surrender our pride, to surrender our control, to surrender our ways and our desires for his, which are better and lead to life. The Bible tells us we come to Jesus with nothing, just simply as a sinner in need of a Savior. We don't earn our forgiveness. We don't earn our salvation, but it is through Jesus alone. Paul says it's by grace alone you have been saved. And so we have to evaluate our hearts and ask, have we ever surrendered our lives to Jesus? Have we ever given up control and trusted our lives to Jesus, our, our future, our eternity to Jesus? Or have we just said a prayer or played a game to try to get God to make our life better? And so Jesus says, narrow is the road that leads to life. And he says, broad is the road that leads to destruction. And he says, many will find it. I want to note real quickly a few things about the broad road. First of all, notice that the broad road is easy to find. It's a lot easier to find I-80 than it is to find a specific unmarked forest road or a specific unmarked two-track in the wilderness. Jesus says the broad road is easy to find. He says it will be crowded. It's like an interstate. It doesn't take any effort to find the broad road. The second thing we see is that the broad road is deceptive. The broad road will be embraced by the masses. It will seem like the best way to go. It will seem to be the way of happiness. It will be easier to travel in this life, but Jesus says it will ultimately lead to destruction. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, a man, but in the end it leads to death. You see this in our world, in our culture every day. The ways of the world may seem good. They may seem right. They may even paint the narrow road. The ways of God is wrong. But Jesus says the broad way, the broad road leads to destruction, while the narrow road leads to life even if we might not see it or feel it today. The last thing I want us to see on the broad road is this. I believe the broad road uh, can and does represent the world, but we also have to remember the context of the Sermon on the Mount. We've talked about this a lot, but the context for the Sermon on the Mount, the audience that day was not primarily the world, but it was his followers. And so the warning we see here and throughout this section is that the broad road doesn't just represent those that hate God. It doesn't just represent those that burn Bibles and those that mock Jesus. But the broad road contains many that sit in churches every Sunday, but have never followed Jesus with their life and with their hearts. Church attendance, Bible knowledge, and serves at church doesn't save you, but only a relationship with Jesus. Remember the Pharisees, we talked about them a lot. The Pharisees were, intended, were in attendance for the Sermon on the Mount. Right? They were leaders in their church or in their synagogue. They knew their Bible better than you and I. They were leaders in the church, the outside world. They looked like they were following God, but their hearts were hard. Their hearts were selfish and prideful. And Jesus tells us they were on the broad road to destruction. So just because you're here at church today, and just because you may have prayed a prayer at some point in your life, you have to examine your heart, your motives today, and ask, have I surrendered my life? Have I trusted Jesus with my life and with my eternity? Am I following him? Or is it all just a game or a duty to me? So Jesus is the only way to life, the only way to heaven. 
we have to ask the question, have we trusted him with our lives? Are we following him or are we following the ways of the world? Or are we playing games like the Pharisees? Who is truly Lord of our lives? As we move on to the next two illustrations, Jesus gives us a great tool to examine our lives and to examine the lives of those we follow. Verse 15. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Note in both of these illustrations, initially a person can look the same or at least similar. On the outside, false Christians or those on the, on the, uh, the, the, on the broad road look very similar to real Christians. We've talked about it, but the Pharisees, they looked good on the outside. They talked a good game, but their hearts were hard and they were opposed to Jesus. So as we examine our hearts and we look for discernment in who we follow, we have to look beyond just uh, the outward appearances. So our second point is this, and that is that genuine Christianity, Jesus says, will always produce good fruit. So Jesus here, he warns us about false prophets or false leaders. He says they don't dress themselves like wolves because that's who they are, but instead they dress themselves like sheep. They're like the Pharisees. They know their Bible. They know the language. They are engaging. They know how to preach a good sermon, but they lead you always away from the truth. Jesus says false prophets or false leaders or false religions are dangerous because they are deceptive and they lead people to themselves as opposed to Jesus. A false prophet, a false teacher, a false religion religion will always lead people to themselves as opposed to Jesus. In our world, there are a lot of voices. There are a lot of pastors and teachers of God's word. There are a lot of religious groups and faiths, a lot of people on Twitter and TV. So we must be careful in who we listen to and who we follow. Jesus says if we seek discernment in who we follow, we can recognize proclaimers of truth from false prophets by their, by their fruit. Look at verse 16. It says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? He says it's by their fruit, it's by their teaching and by their life that you can recognize a false prophet or a false teacher. Ray Fowler writes, here are some key things to look for. If they do not preach Jesus as the only way to salvation, they are a false teacher. If they do not preach the Bible as God's holy word, they are a false teacher. If they do not preach obedience to Jesus and about God's judgment for sin, they are a false teacher. If they do not live, look at their life, if they do not live in obedience to Jesus' commands themselves, They are a false teacher. He says, look at their message and look at their life. If they are a false prophet, their words and their deeds will eventually betray them. Of course, the very best way to guard against false teachers is to study God's word for yourself. The common illustration for this is is always counterfeit money. Those that are experts on recognizing counterfeit money, money, they don't study the thousands of different counterfeits. But instead, they study the real thing. They are such experts on real bills that they easily spot when there's any sort of discrepancy. In the same way, if you want to recognize false teachers, then know the Bible for yourself. Know what the Bible teaches so that you can spot when you hear something that doesn't sound quite right or doesn't line up with what you know to be true. The best way to spot false prophets or counterfeits is to know the truth, the Bible for yourself. You will recognize them by their fruit. Just because someone has a platform, just because someone appears to be a leader or leads a Bible study, that does not mean they are following God and leading you to truth. If it's ever more about them than about Jesus, they are likely a false prophet. 
In 1 Timothy 3, Paul gives us the criteria by which we are to choose and evaluate our leaders. And the bar is high. This is 1 Timothy 3. Paul writes, here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. He says if they don't know how to manage their family, then how can they take care of God's people? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve. So Paul says the bar is high, and this bar weeds out teachers and false prophets. This bar should be humbling to anyone who wants to teach and lead others. This bar should reveal the fruit of those we are considering and following. This bar reveals those that are driven by pride, by title, by selfish desire, as opposed to a love of God. This bar reveals the fruit of one's life. So Jesus says, be on guard against false teachers. And the best way to evaluate their teaching is to look at the fruit in their life, in their family, and in their ministry. And evaluate their teachings against the Bible. So Jesus warns us against false teachers, and he tells us to evaluate them by their fruit. But then he tells us we can apply this same principle to all people, including ourselves. Look at verse 17. Jesus says, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So Jesus says to you, if you are a genuine Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, it will show in your life. You cannot be a genuine follower of Jesus and not experience change in your life. If you are a follower, there will be change, Jesus says. You will look different than the world around you. He says, if you are a Christian, you will bear good fruit. This is one of the principles I always go back to if someone asks me, well, how do I know if I am truly saved? The best way to see that is by examining your heart and examining your life and seeing, am I bearing good fruit? In John 15, Jesus tells a parable about trees and fruit. And in that parable, he says, he is the vine, and that anyone who remains in him, anyone who is connected to him, will bear good fruit. But anyone that does not know him and does not follow after him can do nothing, he says. So Jesus says, if you are a true follower, then you will bear good fruit. But if you are not, you will just be an empty facade. You cannot bear good fruit if you don't know Jesus. So with that, it, how you start to define fruit, that, that matters. And if you define fruit in external, moral, religious ways, you're no better than the Pharisees. Because that's not how Jesus defines fruit. And so in uh, Galatians 5, 22 through 23, uh, Paul gives us this description of spiritual fruit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, notice in this text, it's not the fruits of the Spirit, but it's not plural, it's singular. Meaning these aren't exclusive, you can't do some things, but not the others. He says, if you are a Christian, you will bear the fruit of the Spirit. He says, these things are this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he says, against such things, there is no law. And so this is important for two reasons we examine our lives. First of all, this fruit we are bearing serves as assurance that we are indeed saved. We are indeed a genuine follower of Jesus. If we are growing in the fruit of the Spirit, then Jesus says that is only possible in Him. And we can trust that we are His. 
So if we look back over our life and we can see Jesus growing us to love the things he loved, growing us in, his, in, in our kindness and our goodness and our faithfulness and our self-control, if he's growing us to be more like him, if he's maturing us to be more like him, then we can be confident in our salvation. There's assurance in this declaration. He says, if you are producing good fruit, if God is uh, developing good fruit in you, then you have to be saved. You have to be connected to him. On the flip side, this declaration gives us a measuring stick to evaluate whether or not we have began a relationship with Jesus or we've just been playing games. That flip side is in verse 21. In the last days, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And he says, but then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What this means is there will be some that played religious games. We've talked about it. That attended church every Sunday. That looked good to the world, but they never experienced the grace and forgiveness of Jesus in their life. People who lived their lives as a facade. They looked good on the outside, but their hearts weren't genuine. They played religious games to appease God, to remain in control, to leverage him for something in their life. Yet they never experienced the grace and forgiveness in a relationship with Jesus that saves but instead they chose to control and try to earn their salvation. These people were like the Pharisees who looked good on the outsides but weren't connected to the true vine, who their faith was all about them and not about Jesus. And so my prayer for everyone here and anyone that might be watching in the future is that God would give you his eyes to evaluate your life and he would reveal to you whether or not your life is bearing fruit. And if it's not, this passage says you are not his. You are not connected to the true vine. And if that's you, then my prayer is that God would make that quite clear to you today. That it would be a wake-up call moment for you to surrender and humble yourself and embrace the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. Jesus is the true vine, and anyone that is in him, he says, will bear fruit. There will be obvious growth in the fruit of the Spirit as they mature in his love and grow to produce more and more fruit. And so we see there is evidence and assurance for the genuine follower of Jesus. But apart from Jesus, there is no good fruit eternal life is not possible. That's our next point. Apart from Jesus, eternal life is not possible. Let me read that, verse, that section one more time. In the last days, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. I'll see a few really important things in these two verses in these two verses where Jesus says many in churches may find themselves. Because Jesus here, he's talking to his followers. These are people who would call themselves Christians. These are people who took time out of their busy day to go and hear Jesus preach. He says there will be many of you that I never knew. That means not that, that not everyone who says they are a Christian shows up in church, posts Christian memes on social media, will be saved. So first notice that your words alone, he says, do not save you. It's not enough just to pray a magic prayer, to tell people you're a Christian, to mark it on your census form, or to go to church. Words are important. No one, uh, Romans says, can be saved without confessing Jesus the Lord, but that alone is not enough. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Jesus says there are many people who, who use Jesus' name or a prayer as a get-out-of-hell card. But that's not what it means to follow Jesus. They speak his name when it benefits them, but they do not follow the Jesus of the Bible. They have made Jesus what they, want it to, what, him, what they want him to be as opposed to following Jesus and allowing him to transform their life. They may declare his name, 
but they have never made him Lord, the leader, the boss in their life. He is a part of their life. Religion and faith is a part of their life as opposed to following him as their leader and Lord. James says even the demons know there is one God. Even the demons know his name and they tremble, but that's not enough. You must repent and turn to Jesus and make him Lord. There will be no name dropping at heaven's door. Your words will not save you on that day. The second thing we see is that not only do your words, al- do words alone not save you, but also your deeds alone don't save you. I love how Fowler laid this out. He said, these people are not only presented words to Jesus on Judgment Day, but they also presented their deeds. And not just any deeds. Look at what these people did. He said, many will say to me on the day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Right? These people not only uh, talk the right language, but they have an impressive track record. These are not just your ordinary run-of-the-mill deeds like, I went to church and I love my family. No, these people prophesied in Jesus' name. They drove out demons in Jesus' name. They performed many miracles in Jesus' name. If any deeds you would think would get you into heaven, you would think it would be these ones. And yet even preaching the word and working miracles are no guarantee, Jesus says, that you are saved. Think about the New Testament. Judas preached the word of God. He cast out demons and he performed miracles. And yet he betrayed the Lord. Paul also warns about the counterfeit miracles in 2 Thessalonians 2.9. He says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the works of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. Notice here, Jesus here doesn't deny their claims. He doesn't deny their deeds. He says, I never knew you. And so the warning is there will be many people who will stand before Jesus in that day and say, Did we not go to church? Did we not listen to sermons? Did we not take care of our families? Did we not do our best to live good and decent lives? We see that neither your words nor your deeds will save you on that day. Jesus says it's not what you speak with your lips or what you do with your hands, but it's only what you believe in your heart that matters. Words and deeds don't save us, but only faith in Jesus. And for those that don't know Jesus, the final declaration is declared. They are sent away. Heaven was not for them. So why do they get turned away? G. Campbell Morgan writes, They had done everything but the Lord's will. And the Lord's will is to believe and to follow in Jesus. That's how you can be saved. He says they they really didn't know Jesus, and even more significant, Jesus never knew them. It's not that they fell away from their salvation. Jesus says they never had it to begin with. They never knew Jesus, and Jesus never knew them. And so they are banished from his presence on judgment day. Salvation isn't lost, but they never truly followed Jesus. They never knew him. And he never knew them. But for the genuine follower of Jesus, their destiny is an eternity with Jesus. Jesus says here, those that don't me, they know me, they will be sent away. But those who I do know, they will be with me in heaven. In John 10, 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So the person who professes faith in Jesus and makes him Lord will enter heaven because of their relationship with him. And that's our final point. For the genuine follower of Jesus, heaven is their eternal destination. Jesus says, there will be many that tried to use me for gain. There will be many who went through the motions. There will be many that that were a facade. But for those who genuinely followed after me, who believed in me, who repented and followed after me, there is no doubt where they will spend eternity. He says, I know them, I know their name, and they will spend eternity with me one day in heaven. And so as we begin to wrap up, we have to examine our lives, our hearts, our motives, and ask ourselves, am I a genuine follower of Jesus? Am I a genuine follower of Jesus? Have I trusted him with my life or am I playing games and trying to earn my way to heaven? Am I a genuine follower of Jesus or do I just call myself a Christian? 
Have I made Jesus Lord the priority of my life or just a small part of it? Jesus here has issued three warnings about three ways we can be deceived in thinking, into thinking we are okay and we're not. In the first instance, the world deceives you. The broad road looks good. It looks inviting. There are a lot of people over there. But he says it leads to destruction. In the second instance, it's false teachers or false religions who can deceive you. They sound good. Their teaching is attractive. They seem to have it all together. But they are really wolves in sheep's clothing. They are leading you to themselves in their ways as opposed to Jesus. In the third instance, you deceive yourself. These people thought they were going to heaven. They thought they were the real thing. They really thought that their words and deeds were enough. But Jesus sent them away because they did not believe and surrender and follow after him. And so are you a genuine Christian? Jesus says it's simple to know. A genuine Christian follows Jesus. He looks more like Jesus. And so if you're not following Jesus, then he says you're likely not a Christian. He says it's not a matter of do you go to church, did you say a prayer, do you do the right things, but do you know Jesus? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So are you following him? And he says, if you are my follower, you will one day spend eternity in heaven with me. And so as I pray, I just ask you to reflect and examine your heart and ask the question, do I know Jesus? Have I made him my Lord and Savior, or is my relationship with him something else? Have I believed and made him my Lord and Savior, and am I following after him? I'm going to pray for us as I pray. Just stop. Spend a moment reflecting yourself. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you have made a way that we can be forgiven, that we can, uh, that we can experience life in you, that we can experience an eternity in heaven. So God, I pray in these next few moments, Lord, that you would speak to us clearly. And God, if, if we are not a genuine follower of you, if we have played games, if we have done religious actions, if we have tried really hard, but we have never surrendered our lives and followed you, God, would you reveal that to us today? Would you help us to know that we are on the broad road? Would you call us to you? There's someone here that doesn't know Jesus, Lord and Savior. You can believe in your heart and trust him today. We read it. Romans says if you confess Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That takes surrender. That takes saying, I can't earn my way to God, but through Jesus alone, I can experience his forgiveness. So God, again, I pray there's someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, you'd reveal that and they would turn and trust you today. And God, I pray for those that are here that are genuine followers of you, Lord. I pray that you would make it evident to them that they are. That you would help them to see the fruit and how you are working in their lives. That you would give them confidence that though they are on the narrow road and the broad road looks easier and more appealing and more appeasing, God, that they are on the right road. That they are following after you and that their destination is heaven. God, I pray for the genuine followers. You would reveal yourself, Lord, and just give us assurance and confidence in that. And Lord, as you give us assurance and confidence, Lord, may we call and help as many as we can to find that narrow gate and that narrow road. The road that leads to heaven. And so God, I pray just as we reflect, Lord, that you would speak clearly to us. Speak to us if we are following you. Lord, speak clearly if we are not. 
Lord, you give us the courage to turn and trust you with our lives. God, we love you. We praise you. Lord, we thank you for this morning. God, we pray as we leave today and go throughout our week, Lord, that you will continue to reveal to us who we are as we seek to follow you. God, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, as we wrap up real quick, we have some announcements for you. Uh, first of all, if you are new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the area of you. Uh, if you wouldn't mind filling that 